We are continuing our Disciple Series. Today is the last week of this series. If you haven't been with us, we've been looking at what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Three simple things. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. That's a really simple definition of what it means to be a disciple. To be with Jesus. Everybody say, be with Jesus. To become like Jesus and to do what Jesus did. We've been looking at this through the lens of mainly the Sermon on the Mount. And then last week we looked at John chapter 20 on Father's Day of all things, where Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So we said that as individuals, we are called as disciples to live sent. Sent as Jesus was sent, to become like Jesus, to spend time with Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. These three basic things. Jesus came as a servant. He came to seek and save the lost. We saw all these things last week. We saw the commission in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that he gives us to go and make disciples in everywhere. And we see this in Matthew chapter 28. He calls us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that God has commanded us. So these are all the things that we've been looking at over the last six weeks or so. So then the question is, what does it look like for us to do this as a collection of disciples in the family called Mosaic? What does it look like for us to do that? And I don't know about you, but it's helpful to have examples. If, if Jesus is calling us to not only be individuals who are sent, what does it look like for us as a church to be sent? How do we do this? Well, it's great because God has given us an example in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13. This wonderful group of people in a church called Antioch. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 11. You can see it up on the screen. You can turn there in your own Bible or you can turn it on in your Bible app. Acts chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 19 through 30. And then we're going to flip over and look at Acts 13, 1 through 3. So this is the church of Antioch. The whole book of Acts is just showing us the church planning activity, the sent activity that the disciples have been doing since Acts chapter 1 verse 8. So Acts chapter 1, the disciples are all gathered in the upper room. Jesus has risen from the dead and the question is, what are they going to do? So Jesus commissions them, he sends them out to go and make disciples. As they do, they start establishing churches. And one of those churches is the church of Antioch. We're going to learn about three questions this morning. Who was the church at Antioch? What did Antioch do that made them so special? And what does it mean for us at Mosaic? Antioch is this special church that does some amazing activity, so much so that we could say that we are gathering here today because of the work of the church at Antioch. Isn't that amazing? Think about that for just a moment. A couple thousand years before us gathering here, a church decided to live sent, and the result of that is a church that was planted, a couple churches in Winchester that came together to become Mosaic Church. 
exists because a couple thousand years before today, this church decided to do something. That's incredible. We're going to find out. Thank you. All right. So let's look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now let's just stop there for just a second. So Stephen was one of the early deacons in the church in Jerusalem. He is standing up in the public square giving testimony to the resurrected Jesus that Jesus had risen from the dead, that they needed to repent of their sins. The result of that is Stephen is put to death. And so there's some Christians there that are like, I don't want that to happen to me, so we should go for a walk. And we should get out of here, and we should go start spreading the message of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been on a hike where someone said, hey, we're going to go for a short hike, but that short hike turns into a long trip? Anybody? Anybody ever been on that kind of trip? Anybody ever been on the kayak trip that never ended, right? Or the canoeing trip? It's just a couple of miles. And the next thing you know, it's been nine miles. And you're still paddling, and your back hurts. And every few seconds, you're pulling your kayak out of the water so you can stand up so your back doesn't hurt. This may or may not have happened to me, okay? I remember the first time I hiked Old Rag. Anybody ever hiked Old Rag? It's really not that far. That's what my friend said to me. It's really not that far. It's really fun. There are sections where you get to rock scramble and you get to see all these amazing vistas. But what they didn't tell me about the hike at Old Rag is the fire road. Anybody ever experienced the fire road? It is the road that never ends right? The hike is even worse now because they have created a road, a little trail that goes from the end of the fire road back to the parking lot. And there are signs, I'm just telling you, they lie. Okay, they lie. They say it's shorter for you to take this trail back to the parking lot. Okay, they lie. If you would just go to the end of the fire road and walk up the regular road, it's shorter and it's flatter and it's downhill. This trail that they cut is uphill most of the way. I'm like, I have already hiked uphill seven miles. And now you want me to hike uphill? Sorry, that was not in my notes. But this is what happens to this group of people. They're scattered. And I want to tell you, the ending location that they end up is 300 miles from Jerusalem. It's in Antioch in a town known for in modern-day Turkey. And so this church that's scattered because of persecution moves 300 miles. The church of Jerusalem is still there, but they go as a result of persecution. It says this, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. You can underline that phrase. Man, if there was a phrase that we need here at Mosaic more than anything, is that the hand of the Lord would be on us. And it says, And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. And they're like, man, what's going on down there? So they sent Barnabas to Antioch. He goes for this 300-mile hike. 
And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted, or the original language would say he encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You're going to see that phrase several times about this church in Antioch. They were full of faith. The hand of the Lord was on them, and they were guided by, encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And it says this, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So this church is radical. They go 300 miles to flee persecution. They share their faith. They're full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, so much so that they are even made fun of. I know it sounds cool that they were called Christians, but this is like little Christs. Look at those little Christs running around doing that Jesus work. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus, you know, if you're looking for names for your kids, maybe that's a good one, Agabus. Husbands, you look over at your wife and they're going to be like, no, thank you. Agabus stood up and foretold of the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, every one of them, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now you flip over to Acts chapter 13. We see some more stuff happen in Acts chapter 12, some stuff in Jerusalem, and then we get back to the church in Antioch in Acts 13. It says, Now there was in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is a ragtag crazy group of people. This is diverse. Let me just tell you for just a moment. This is also not in my notes, but this is from my study. So Barnabas is from, he, he's a, a Jew from Jerusalem who comes back to Antioch in Turkey. Simeon, who is called Niger, is from Africa. And he's, he would be black. Lucius of Cyrene is from northern Africa. Menaean, who is the lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, do you know who Herod the Tetrarch was? He's who put John the Baptist to death. And then this, there's this dude named Saul who was putting Christians to death just a few years before this, who Jesus had saved. In other words, God can use anybody. That should encourage you today that God can use anybody. If you're an ex-con, he can use you. If you've killed people and you've come to faith in Jesus and you've had some discipleship, maybe not yesterday you killed somebody, okay? But, but like, if you've killed people, God can still use you. If you are from Africa, he can use you. If you're from the people group that you're trying to reach, he can use you. He can use anyone. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. That seems very simple, but it's very complex. It's kind of what we've been talking about this whole series. The words of Jesus, the message of Jesus for us to be disciples is really not that complex. It's not that complicated, but it's hard for us to do. To be the kind of church that Antioch was, it's really, it's really not that complex, that hard of a thing uh, for, for us to know, but it's another thing to do. Because they were praying, they were fasting, they were teaching, and they were sending. They just did this. Because this is what it meant to do it the Antioch way, to do it the discipling way. So you can write our big idea down for us today, and then we'll pray. Our big idea today is this. Ascent Church is a landing place and a launching pad from where the gospel spreads. Ascent Church is a landing place and a launching pad from where the gospel spreads. That's what we want Mosaic to be, a landing place and a launching pad. This is a place where some of you are going to come and you're going to meet Jesus for the first time, maybe even today. You're like, wow, I didn't know that's why I was here today. Yes, you're here today to hear about the good news of Jesus, that he loves you, that he lived for you, that he died for you, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and he wants to be in relationship with you. That's the message for some of you. Some of you, you're here and you need to be discipled. You need to be encouraged. You need to be maturing in your faith and you need to grow up in your faith so that you can help be a church that prays and is Holy Spirit filled and disciples and leads others by sharing your faith. And then there's some of you here today. I've not talked this bold in the two years that I've been here but I'm trying to channel a little bit of my friend Clint who passed away, who was all about church planning. There's some of you who are here today, you don't know it yet, but God is calling you to be a part of starting churches. You're here. You're sitting here and maybe you work in the government, maybe you work in education, maybe you're retired, and you don't know it, but God has a call on your life to be led and discipled and equipped here and to be sent from here to see the gospel spread across this region, across this world. You don't know it yet, but here's the place that God has brought you, and he wants you to hear this message today. So with all that being said, let's pray and ask God to help us to understand these words this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the church at Antioch and the example that it gives to us. Pray that we would embrace these words of life. Help us to see what message it is that you have us to receive this morning. Maybe someone who's far from God would receive the love that you have for them. Maybe someone who's here who's not been being discipled, not been walking in this, this thing that we've been talking about that's spending time with you, becoming like you, and doing what you did. God, I pray that maybe today they would, they would get on that that pathway of following you. Maybe there's someone here today who you're calling them. You're calling them to step out, maybe in the next year, in the next two years, in the next five years, maybe in the next 10 years, but you're calling them to be equipped, to be sent out, to start a gospel work throughout our region, maybe across the world. God, I pray that you would give us courage to hear that this morning and to embrace it. We ask you for this in Jesus' good name. And everybody said,
For better or worse, churches gain reputations in their communities. Churches gain reputations. Um, I've been pastoring or been on staff or been working in and around churches for close to 20 years now. It's hard to believe that. And uh, as I think about this, I think about the different churches that I've worked with and the reputations that they have in the community. And what's interesting is as you read through the New Testament, you see that churches had reputations then as well. You think about Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus through the prophet writes to these churches about the reputations that they have. You, you have this church that had lost its first love. You have this church in Sardis that he uh, that he speaks against. And so we see all these churches, these seven churches are spoken about in Revelation 2 and 3. Even in the New Testament, churches begin to form reputations. You think about the church in Corinth, the book of First and Second Corinthians, they had a reputation as well, right? A reputation of, of being a church that was jacked up and had immorality and all these things that Paul had to continually to come back and to correct them about. You have the church in Ephesus, that is frequently identified with signs and wonders and the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see this in Acts chapter 18 and verse 19. But it's a church that had also forsaken its first love that we see in Revelation chapter 2 verse 4. Then we come to the church at Antioch. And the church at Antioch is often associated with sending missionaries and church planting work. This church is the church that Barnabas and Paul landed at to encourage, and this is the church that turned around and sent them out. It's the church that Paul consistently came back to for encouragement. It's the church that also sent out support during a time of famine that we just read about to the church at Jerusalem. This church is a special church because it's a church that was a landing place and a launching pad from which the gospel spread. The reality is, is we live in a culture that marks church metrics by something different than that. We live in a time where we see the largest churches ever in the history of the church. The largest central gathering places but also the largest collection of denominations and the largest collection of groups than have ever existed at any point at any time. I know we get this message that the church is in decline, but it's interesting because we see that only through the lens of our own skin color and our own language. The church is actually, when we look at it across the world, through international eyes, is larger and bigger than ever before. But there are more lost people than ever before. So the question is, are we actually accomplishing the mission of Jesus and what he's called us to, or are we actually losing ground? Because I think the metrics that we begin to measure our success by are metrics that don't lead to success in the eyes of Jesus and the Word of God. Because the metrics that we measure how well a church is doing is how many seats are full. And what we see in Antioch is what was the measure of success was who are we sending? Who is coming to faith? Who's being discipled? Who's being baptized? 
It doesn't ever give us how big the church at Antioch was. The measure of success was their sending capacity, not their seating capacity. So the question is, why is it that we have traded this metric for a different metric? And I think it's because we have bought into a worldly perspective of what success looks like. Bigger is better, right? More is better, rather than who are we equipping, who are we discipling, who's coming to faith, and who are we sending? That's the biblical metric. The biblical metric is about discipleship and sending. So the question is, how can we lean into this? You see, the call of the Great Commission and being disciples bids us not to measure success by our seating capacity, but by our sending and scattering capacity. And the perfect church to learn this from is the church at Antioch. But I don't want us to like rush through this, so we're going to answer three questions. Who was the church at Antioch? There's something significant about this church. Who was the church at Antioch? What did they do? Because I don't know about you, but like when I'm trying to learn something, it's like, let me learn from someone who's doing this well, right? And it's not like learning to shoot free throws from Michael Jordan or Larry Bird, right? You notice I didn't say LeBron, okay? We're going to learn from the actual greatest of all time, right? It's, it's not about learning from them. It's about seeing everyday people. That's what Antioch was. Everyday average people who just faithfully prayed, were dependent upon the Holy Spirit, shared their faith, and listened to what he had to say, and sent people to go do the same. It's just regular everyday people. So this is a wonderful example for us. So the first question is, who was the church at Antioch? Who was the church at Antioch? Well, we looked at the beginning of this chapter in Acts chapter 11, and their origin story is that they were formed out of necessity. They were formed out of necessity. Now, I'll come back to this at the end of the message when I apply it to how we are supposed to do this here at Mosaic. But they were formed out of necessity. This church at Antioch was formed as a result of persecution, and so they were formed out of necessity. I think that many of us don't see the church and measure the church by its success, by its sending capacity, because we don't see sending as necessary. We hear it hurt. It's said this way. It's said this way. We, why would we plant churches? There's enough churches. Remember, the metric isn't the seating capacity. The metric is the sending capacity. The reality is, is that new churches have a greater chance of reaching lost people than existing and older churches do, statistically. So this church was formed out of necessity. Number two, under who was the church at Antioch? This church was established not by gathering Christians, but by reaching the lost. So this group of people travels 300 miles, and the first thing on their mind is not, where would we get something to eat? 
where should we buy our clothes and what businesses should we frequent, the first thing on their mind is about sharing this good news that Jesus came, he died, he, buried, he was buried, and he rose from the dead, and you should give your whole life to him. That was the first thing on their mind. This church was established not by gathering Christians, but by reaching the lost. You see, the church members in Antioch were effective in sharing the gospel, both to Jews and Gentiles. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but they didn't care what culture someone was from. They had a pulse, and they needed to hear the gospel. That's the way they thought about it. They had a pulse They had two eyes, maybe they had one, maybe they had none of them, but they had a pulse. And so I was going to, they're going to go share their faith. They were lame. They shared their faith with them. They could walk. They shared their faith with them. They didn't care who they were. They didn't care what culture they came from. Now this was absolutely radical for this time. Jews didn't hang out with Gentiles. And here's a bunch of Gentiles and they see them and their first thought was not, We shouldn't hang out with people like that. Their first thought was, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And Acts chapter 11, verse 21 says, a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Why? Because this group of people shared. The truth is that the church in Antioch was willing to cross all kinds of boundaries. They, they crossed geographical boundaries, right? You didn't just travel 300 miles back then. They, they crossed ethnic boundaries. There are Hellenists, and obviously we saw this guy from Niger, and we saw this guy, Manaus, and we see all these people from all different cultures turning to the Lord, and the result of it is that they shared their faith. They crossed cultural boundaries, They crossed religious boundaries. This church was established not by gathering Christians, but by reaching the lost. Number three, this church was where people were first called Christians. These people had a reputation. Hey, that group of people, the church Antioch over there, those people are all about Jesus. They're all about Jesus. They love Jesus. They, they tell everybody about Jesus. Hey, I don't know if you know, if you show up at their gathering, you're going to hear about Jesus. You might ask the question, why do every week since the beginning of this year, we start with a psalm and we say we're here for God? Because it's a reminder that we are here for Jesus. We're a church that's to be about Jesus, following Jesus, walking with Jesus, telling others about Jesus. Why? Because he's the only God who died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the dead. I think it's important that we talk about Jesus. So this church was where the people were first called Christians. Their reputation is that they followed Jesus. The question I want to ask you this morning, Mosaic, do we have that reputation? We have to ask that individually. Do I have the reputation in Front Royal where I live? Do you have the reputation where you live in Inwood and in Winchester, in Frederick County, in Clark County? Do you have the reputation that you follow Jesus? That you walk with Jesus? 
Because as we leave, we are the representation of this collection as a church that we follow Jesus. The question is, are you known for that? This church was known for that. Lastly, who was the church at Antioch? The church had the hand of the Lord on them. This is significant. Acts chapter 11, verse 21, And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. There's so much we could say about this, but there's some activity that we're going to look at in just a moment. But I don't want to rush past this. The hand of the Lord was upon them. Every Sunday when I drive here, for the last two years, I said, God, would your, would your hand be upon us? Would your hand be upon us? Slowly but surely, people have believed, people have joined us, people have gathered with us. People who we never thought would come to faith. I thought about this this morning. Like, how long we prayed for you, David, to come to faith? How long? I mean, long before I was here. There were people here praying for you to come to faith. And just a couple months ago, we got to see you baptized and to publicly declare your faith. To see God transform your life. We want to see that over and over. That the, the person who you think was, is farthest from God, and I'm, I'm just, I've never said this to your face, and if you get upset with me, that's okay. But when I came here and I met you, I was like, man, if there's ever a person, I said this to Jonathan, if there's ever a person that I thought, man, that person's never going to come to faith, it was you. And I'd never forget the beginning of the year you walked up to me and you're like, I want to get baptized. And I was like, what? And you're like, yeah, because I, I trusted in Jesus. And I was like, well, tell me what that means. And you told me, and I was like, that's incredible. That someone who said, I want nothing to do with God would come to faith. That God does that in people's lives as a result of faithful, Holy Spirit-empowered prayers. That God would change people's lives. God wants to do that over and over in people's lives. Not just David's life, but in everybody in the city of Winchester. And everyone in the northern Shenandoah Valley. Through you being disciples who share the message of Jesus. This church had the hand of the Lord on them. Not because they were special. This is a group of people who were scared, who were scattered, who were persecuted. There's not a lot of talented people in this church. I know you're like, yeah, but Paul was sent from there. Yeah, but Paul was a, a guy who killed people for a living. And God transformed his life. So the question is, what did they do? So that's who they were, but what did they do? Well, they were an evangelistic church. You can write that down. The church at Antioch was an evangelistic church. They declared the good news about Jesus. All of them. Not just the pastors. All of them. The text tells us, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. You know what's interesting there? It doesn't say who the pastors were. It doesn't say who was sharing the gospel, because it's understood that every single disciple who was a part of Antioch was sharing the good news. 
That's the key. Every single one of us grabbing a hold of the net and saying, I'm responsible. Not just the elders, not just the pastors, not just the leaders. Every single person, from the person who just came to faith to the person who's been a Christian for a long time, they all had the responsibility. They were an evangelistic church. Number two, they were a generous church. This is both human and capital resources. Here's a brand new church that's being established, and they hear about a great famine, and their first natural response is not to hold on to what they have, but to give what they have. Not to hold on to their resources, but to give away their resources. Their first thought was not, man, we've got this really talented speaker in Paul and Barnabas. You know what we should do? We should hold on to them because they'll bless us. Their first responsibility, their first thought was we should send them. Where? I don't know. Let's just send them out. Let's send them out on a missionary journey. And then they come back. And if we followed our normal metric of today, here's what they do. Oh, thank God Paul and Barnabas came back. We should hold on to them. What do they do? They send them out again. How about you go out again? That seemed to be really successful. Let's try that again. And then they come back. And now it's time for the third missionary journey. And if they were to then say, you know what? We've already been ascending church. You know what we should do? We should hold on to Paul because obviously he's fruitful. No, they send him again. They send him out again a third time. This church was a landing place and a launching pad. They were generous with both the human and capital resources. They were also a leader-developing church. Consider the leadership development in the church. We see in Acts chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, the leadership worked as a team, learning together as a new church. They prayed together. They listened to the Holy Spirit together. They were growing. They were developing this church was also a fasting and praying church. I know every year we, we start the brand new year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. Every Sunday night, I don't know if you know this, but we have 8 o'clock Zoom prayer time. As we look at the new fall, we want to add prayer times on a weekly basis. Why? Because we want to be a church like Antioch where we're praying, seeking the Holy Spirit, and asking Him to show us what He wants us to do. This church was a fasting and praying church. They were a launch pad. Another way of saying that, they were a sending church. They cared that others would get the gospel and would have a place to grow as disciples. They're best known for commissioning the first missionaries. This church commissioned the first missionaries we are here today because that church sent out missionaries. And they were a landing place. So they were evangelistic. They were generous. They were developing. They were fasting and praying. They were sending and they received those people back to care for them and to send them out again. As I wrote those things down this week, I asked myself the question, is that really complex? It's not. Share your faith that Jesus 
lived for us, died for us, was buried, rose from the dead. That our sin brings brokenness in our life, separates us from God. Jesus, in his perfect work, came to build a bridge between our brokenness and his forgiveness. And by faith and trust in him, we can come to faith in him. That's, that's not complex. Simple. It's the simple gospel message that by believing and trusting in him, we could have eternal life. All of us know that, but few of us share it. Because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to push our pride down and, and step up and share it. It's, it's hard for us to swallow our pride. It's hard for us to, at times, look foolish. But this is the, the gospel way, the, the Antioch way, the Jesus way. Fasting and praying. I don't know about you, but the beginning of the year when we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, it, it's hard. But, but it's not complex, right? You just don't eat and you pray. But it's hard, right? Because I don't know about you, but when I start, I close my eyes and I, I go to pray, it's like Big Macs. And double quarter pounders, right? It's like bouncing like a screen, old 90s screensaver, right? I'm like, I don't think about this any other time, but during January when we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, what is wrong with me? Because the enemy does not want you to do this. There's something special connected to fasting and praying. Why? Jesus did it. The early church did it. And they turned the world upside down out of dependence upon him. Being ascending church, it's, it's really not that complex. But it's hard. I remember when I pastored Aletheia. We were a collegiate church, a small group of people. In that church, we planted two other churches. And both times... We sent people out. The last time, we sent 30 people out. Our church was like 100 people. And it was like the hardest thing we ever did. But that church is still there, and that church has planted a church. It's hard to see your friends leave. It's hard to see your, your best friends go to do something else and to gather someplace out on Sunday. But it's the Jesus way. It's the Jesus way. And to be a landing place for people to be raised up in their faith and discipled and be encouraged and to overcome addictions, it's not complex. Just put your arm around someone, pray for someone, lay your hands on someone, buy someone a cup of coffee, sit down with them and ask a simple question like, what's God teaching you? That's not complex, but it's hard in the world we live in. Because the world is telling you to be about you and about your life and your agenda and what you want to build and what you want to have and, and new cabinets in your house and new flooring and, and staining your deck, all of that stuff. It's good stuff, but it's not kingdom stuff. It doesn't mean we can't have those things. It just means it can't be the first priority that we wake up thinking about. So who was the church at Antioch? What did they do that made them so special? Our last question, what does this mean for us? Now, 
If you haven't picked up on this, the room looks different. Okay? Some of you have never sat this close to the stage. Right? Because we have a bunch of tables over here. The reason why we have a bunch of tables over here is we're going to have pizza and salad and drinks after the service for our member meeting. You say, well, I'm not a member. Thanks for telling me that you're having a pizza party without me. Well, we've invited everybody to the pizza party. Particularly, this is a members meeting where members are going to hear about what God's calling us to do, what we believe as a group of elders that God is calling us to do, what what he's calling us to steward. And it's going to be a time where they can ask questions. But we're inviting everyone so you can sit in and listen. So you can see what the family is all about here at Mosaic. It won't be a time for you to ask questions, but it's a time for you to listen in. So we'd love for you to stay. But we strategically placed this message on this day for this meeting we're about to have because I needed longer to be able to share how this connects. And I think it connects to us living the Antioch way as a church. So the question is, what does it mean for us at Mosaic to embrace the Antioch way? To be a sent church that's a landing place and a launching pad from where the gospel spreads. There's some slides that are going to pop up on the screen. First one, you can go to the next one is I want us to begin to embrace a vision for reaching 1% of lostness for the kingdom of God in Winchester and the six counties that make up the northern section of the Shenandoah Valley. So you got to start somewhere with reaching lost people. And you say, 1%? Really? That, that seems like a small goal. Well, I'm going to unpack for you what 1% is here in just a moment, and you're going to see just how big 1% is and how it's going to take every single one of us giving sacrificially, praying dependently, relying holistically on the Holy Spirit. So go to the next one. 1% of Winchester, just the city of Winchester, is 281 people. 281 people. That's more people than are here today. Okay, that's about how many total people we could fit in this building, probably, pretty close. 281 people. Our church has individuals who are sitting out here today who live in the six counties that make up the northern section of the Shenandoah Valley. So the four of those counties are in Virginia, two of those counties are in West Virginia, We have people in this building today who serve, who attend, who call this church home that live in these six counties, who also live in Winchester City. So we started with Winchester, that's 281 people. Let's go to the next one. Virginia, those four counties, Frederick County, Clark County, Warren County, and Shenandoah County, that's 1,941 people. That's 1%. Frederick County being the largest of those four counties. But there's a lot of people in those other three. I live in Warren. We have people who live in Shenandoah. We have people who live in Clark. And obviously we have people who live in Frederick County. Go to the next one. West Virginia, we have people in our church who live in Berkeley County and Jefferson County. That's 1,844 people. 
Now, how many of you, you look at those numbers, 281, 1941, and 1844, and think that that's small? That's a lot. That's just 1%. People estimate, based upon statistics, that probably close to 20% are unchurched. They don't go to church. They consider themselves none. They don't have any affiliation, no religious affiliation in those six counties and in Winchester City. So we're just saying, let's, let's go after 1% of that. So when you think about this, the average church in America is about 68 people. So our church is above average. But remember, the Antioch way is not about measuring our seating capacity, but our sending capacity. So if we were to see churches planted, people sent, both evangelistically to see people reach with the gospel, and people sent to start churches, it would take 31 churches to reach this many people. Now you're like, that is crazy and ridiculous for you to think that a church our size could do something like that. Absolutely. It's crazy. It is ridiculous. But it's something that God could do. It's something that God could do through you and I if we pray or dependent upon the Holy Spirit. We're generous. We are committed to being disciples who are made into disciples who are sent. Not all of you will be sent. Some of you will stay here and you'll pray, be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, give generously, disciple other people, be leaders, and send others. But some of you, God's going to send. And so what's my heart and prayer and our vision as a group of pastors is that we would be in the next 10 years a part of seeing seven churches started. In the next 10 years, we would be a part of seven churches. You say, well, you said we need 31. Well, we want to build partnerships with other churches, other state convention, our state convention, because we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So the SBC of Virginia, we want to partner with the West Virginia Convention. We also want to partner with Send Network, that's who I work with full-time, to see those other churches started. So we just look at that goal and say, God, what do you want? And through prayer and fasting, we're like, we believe in the next 10 years we should be a part of seeing seven of those started. You say, where did you come up with that number? Well, we have people who live in Winchester. We have people who live in each of those counties. And if we look over the next 10 years, if we are committed to being a praying church who's dependent upon the Holy Spirit, who's discipling, that we will scatter. We'll send people. Say, well, what will happen to this place? We'll keep doing that. Here's what I've learned in my 20 years of ministry is churches who are committed to doing this don't have to worry about their seating capacity. In fact, what they have to worry about is having enough seats because that church is about Jesus. That church is committed to Jesus' mission. And so Jesus takes care of filling those seats. When I was at Pillar Church in Dumfries, a church that just turned 18 years old, and they've planted 31 churches. That church, every time they've sent people, God has filled those seats with more. It's just how it works. 
It's kingdom economy. Does it make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. So, this is how we reduce lostness. We go and share our faith. We pray and fast, and we're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And if God calls you, you raise your hand, you ask to be developed, and you're sent out. So the question is, how could we start today? How is that possible? So I think the way that this is possible is that each of us would begin praying. That God would make us an Antioch church. That God's hand would be upon us. That God would root us, establish us, help us to share our faith, send who God wants to send. That's what's crazy about this text. They pray and ask the Holy Spirit, and he tells them to send Saul and Barnabas. And they're like, okay. They lay hands on them and they send them out. It's not complicated. But God wants to do that. This is the church that turned the world upside down. There are many of us, we, we turn on the news and we're like, man, the world is, is getting turned upside down. You turn on the news and you're like, man, is there another war? Is there another economy you know, crashing? Is, is there another famine coming? Is there another storm coming? When many of us, if we would just lean into the Holy Spirit and pray and fast and say, God, would you turn the world upside down like you did with this church? The question is, why couldn't he do it again? He's absolutely doing it again in all kinds of places, places like you wouldn't even know about, places like China and places like India. My boss at the Sin Network just got back from a trip with India. He took eight church planners. And he's like, there's this church. This guy literally got saved three months ago and he's pastoring a church. And they just sent out 50 people to go start another church. Right? You're like, I don't know if that, that's cool. I don't know if that, we should do that. That guy should go to seminary or something. Right? But that, that's like Jesus type stuff. That's first century church type stuff. And God wants to do that again here in our country, I believe. So you could just begin by praying every day. You could jump on the 8 o'clock prayer time. You could begin giving. God's been generous, and we're going to get an update here in just a little bit in our member meeting about what God's been doing financially, and we're thankful for generosity. But if we're going to plant seven churches, we need more resources. We need a place like this that can become a training facility, that can become a launching pad, right? It takes resources. It also would take every single one of us being committed to sharing our faith. I want you to ask yourself the question, when was the last time I shared my faith with someone who didn't know Jesus? If I were to like grab this microphone and we went around the room, I guarantee you some of you would be like, oh, I hope he doesn't come to me. And that's, that's not okay. But we want to train you and help you move forward. One of the things we're going to do going into the fall through our small groups is to help 
train everyone in a little thing called bless. I'm going to wrap this up. We're going to sing one song. Okay. You can write this down. Bless. B, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. God, how do you want me to bless the people in places you've sent me to? Every single one of you could begin to share your faith just by blessing someone. And you do that by beginning with prayer. L, listen. Listen. I learned this from Dave. Everybody's favorite topic is what? Themselves. And the best way to get to know someone is to ask questions. Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What do you like doing? This is why I joined a jujitsu gym. Not because I want to get killed every time I go but to spend time with lost people. I'm praying for guys, and I hope he watches this, guys like Lane, who I shared my faith with yesterday. Guys like Mike, who's absolutely far from Jesus. Guys like Zach, people like Susan, people like Rob, people who are in my life three times a week. I didn't join the gym so that I could get my arm ripped off like yesterday or my nose scratched, or my gi pulled up in my lip. All of those things happened yesterday. But to have a place where I could share my faith. And most of the time, I just ask questions. Lane, how you doing? How's your family? How's work? How can I pray for you? And God's opened up doors to share my faith with people who I never thought I'd meet. So we begin with prayer. We listen. Eat. Eat. How many like to eat? You're like, would you please shut up so we can eat? Eat. This is one of the simple ways that you could get a captivative audience for just a, maybe 30 minutes or 40 minutes is to invite someone over to sit down and eat with you. I was talking to Sarah before the service and we did the Backyard Bible Club yesterday and, and she had three new families come over to her backyard and this this lady whose husband is in El Salvador, right? And she hung out to like five, six o'clock. That thing was earlier in the day. But she's just hungry for relationships. And I was like, I told both Sarah and Joel, I was like, you should just invite her over for food. It's not complicated, but it takes time. You say, I don't have a lot of resources. Well, take them to coffee. I know coffee's about as expensive as going out to eat now. It's a little cheaper. So we begin with prayer. B, L, we listen. E, we eat. S, we serve. If you listen with people and you eat with people, they will tell you how to love them. They'll tell you. This couple I was just telling you about, Lane, his wife, Carmen, had surgery a few months ago. And I, I just took him a gift card and said, Here, here's, some, here's some money for some food while your wife's recovering. And he, goes, he looks at me and goes, why would you do that? And I said, because I care about you. And he goes, bring it in, man. It's not complicated. We serve people. And then the last S, here's the really hard part, story. When the time is right, you share the story of how Jesus changed you. 
here's what I know. If every single one of us would begin to bless the places that God has ordained us to live, Winchester and the northern Shenandoah Valley will never be the same. Why? Because it's exactly what this, this group of people did. This is a scattered, persecuted, discouraged group of people. Jerusalem had to send Barnabas to encourage them. And they didn't quit. They didn't quit. They didn't give up. They just blessed people. So would you join us in committing to this? Beginning with prayer, listening to people, eating with them, serving them, and then sharing the story of Jesus.